so that all may look to Jesus, seeing only him. Lord and God, that is our desire, and yet we know we are so easily distracted from it and so easily get caught up in other things. We ask you to give us that focus afresh as we study the Bible this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yes, do please sit down and uh, would you like to turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, the reading that Dave read for us just a little bit earlier in the service. It's page 756 in the church Bibles, page 756, Jeremiah chapter 2, and uh, we began looking at Jeremiah chapter 2 last week and we'll do this week and next week as well, a little short series looking at this uh, chapter and seeing uh, the great devastation of spiritual decline. I'm not sure who gave me this, but I'm so grateful that they did. Somebody popped this uh, article into my, uh, into my, uh, my tray at uh, church. It's, uh, it's from the Daily Mail uh, from the 6th of uh, September, and it says this, Christian must face court after giving out leaflets at a rally for gays. This is how, it's, how it reads. A Christian campaigner has been arrested by police for peacefully handing out leaflets at a gay rally. Uh, later on uh, the article reads the action against Mr Green by the South Wales Minorities Support Unit came after he and a fellow member of the evangelical group Christian Voice tried to distribute leaflets at the Mardi Gras event and uh, it explains how he was asked to leave the event he, he left peacefully uh, and, uh, but he's carried on delivering the leaflets just outside the gates of the event and then uh, even though it, everyone acknowledges it was a peaceful um, campaign, uh, he was arrested. Well, it, it's all evidence, isn't it, of the spiritual decline of the nation. Keen Christians who peacefully stand up for Christian morals are now, it seems, treated like criminals. Of course, officially, we are a Christian country, and driving through the glorious and spectacular English countryside this summer reminded me of that. I guess you saw what I saw. It reminded me of the Christian heritage that we have as I saw church spires punctuate the landscape of England's green and pleasant land. It is a great sight. Officially, we're a Christian country, but practically, we're a pagan nation. And you only have to attend some of those same village churches on a Sunday to realise that. Caroline and I find it very hard now when we go on holiday to go to church because we regularly find the same thing. Do you find this? That the church is almost empty? That's not a reason not to go but uh, it's quite depressing to see that. Um, the services are often dry and dreary, and uh, when the preacher gets up to speak, he's very often irrelevant and boring, or worse, heretical. And so when we're on holiday, we, we kind of find it quite depressing going to church. Do you find that? Well, this once Christian nation then is thoroughly pagan now, and that was true of Israel during Jeremiah's day. They, the people of God, had left the Lord and were chasing after idols. We saw it a little bit last week, chapter 2, verse 5 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord? In Jeremiah's day, no one gave a second thought to knowing the Lord anymore. They were far from him and they didn't even miss him. Now we know all about that in our nation too. The vast majority are simply not interested in knowing God. Now, when people discover that I'm a clergyman, they, they don't rush up to me and ask me, verse 6, where is the Lord? 
And if I was a betting man, I would put big money on the fact that when people at work or uh, your neighbours discover that you're a Christian, they don't beg you to tell them about Jesus either. In fact, quite the opposite. I would guess they quickly change the subject. They feel embarrassed about anything to do with knowing God. What is so desperate about Jeremiah chapter 2 is that Jeremiah is describing the established, if I can put it this way, the established church of his day. Israel, God's people, are simply not interested in knowing the Lord anymore. As we saw last week, they've lost their love for him and they're following other gods. We've just seen that in verse 5. They turned to other gods and they didn't even miss the Lord. And notice what they did not ask, verse 6. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. They forgot that the Lord had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember the, the terrible situation they were in in Egypt? Do you remember how they cried to the Lord to deliver them from this terrible slavery? They'd forgotten that, that he'd done that. They'd forgotten that he'd led them through the barren wilderness that he protected them from all their enemies during that time. They'd forgotten that he had brought them into this wonderful new land. They'd forgotten who they were and what they'd become because of him. It is amazing how quick we can forget all that the Lord has done for us, even we as God's people. May the Lord spare us from ever being a people who forget. That is a quick track to spiritual decline. I'm, I think of a Christian I know, he, he not only thinks about how the Lord has rescued him often, but he remembers often what he was before he became a follower of Jesus. And because he knows what he was like back then, he can imagine what a mess he'd have made of life had the Lord not stepped in. He's happily married now and he says, you know, I know that if Jesus hadn't taken hold of me, I'd have been unfaithful to my wife because I know what I was back then and I imagine I'd be on my third or fourth marriage by now. He says it's terrifying to think of the way I'd have messed up, the way I'd have ruined other people's lives. You see, that's how the Christian thinks or should think, looking back to what the Lord has saved us from and what we are now because of him. But the backslider forgets all that. The backslider doesn't want to be reminded of that either. Because to remember that would leave him indebted to God. And what is true of individuals is true of whole churches too. As soon as we forget all that the Lord did for us in salvation, we will forget the Lord. Well, here in Jeremiah chapter 2, the whole nation of Israel had forgotten. They never asked, verse 6, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt? And why had they forgotten such a marvellous rescue? Well, because of the Lord's kindness to them. Amazingly, the Lord had been so kind to them that they'd forgotten about him. See, the Lord brought them into a land of good things. Verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. And so the good things the Lord had given them had in time become more important than the Lord himself. They came to a land of abundance. But instead of overcoming the pagan religious culture into which they came and proclaiming the true God, instead they were themselves overcome 
corrupted by the pagan religion into which they had come. When they're in the wilderness, of course, separate with God, geographically and culturally, all went well. But as soon as they had to mix with pagans, everything they knew collapsed. And again, it's remarkably contemporary. It's the student going off to university for the first time, isn't it? You know, he's been brought up in a loving Christian home. He's enjoyed good teaching and huge support from his church and his youth group. He's been on house party, committed his life to the Lord. He's even sent to a Christian school. He's beginning everything that uh, you would expect a Christian young man to have. And what a huge shock when he arrives at university. No longer surrounded by his loving family, no longer having the support of a good church, he's quickly overwhelmed by the world where he discovers that no one believes what he believes and no one lives as he lives. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, swallowed by the culture Verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Isn't the second half of verse 7 shocking? Did you notice it as they've read? It's not just that these people were influenced by the world, it's much worse than that. The second half of verse 7, they began to lead others away from the Lord. So again, verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. How would you expect the, the verse to continue? I'd expect it to read like this. But when you came, you were defiled by them. It actually reads this way. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. See, it is one thing to be defiled by being among unbelievers. It's quite another to begin to defile them. It is one thing when the church is defiled and begins to practice homosexuality. It is quite another when the church begins to preach it to others. That's what's happening in the Church of England. That's when we know how spiritual decline has really set in. When the church defiles the land. When the church actually leads people away from the Lord. And Jeremiah lays the blame squarely at the feet of the leadership. Look at verse 8. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. As you notice there, there are four groups of leaders in verse 8. The priests, the scholars, the leaders and the prophets. Now listen to Derek Kidner's excellent summary of this verse. Their priests' routines revolved around themselves. Their scholars knew everything but the Lord. Their rulers ignored the rule. And most blatantly of all, their prophets had broad minds where Yahweh and Baal were all one. He says this, we might almost be reading of our own day. Indeed we might. Well, let's look at them in turn and see these situations in our own day. Verse 8, firstly the priests. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? So here's the priest in his study and a knock comes at the door and his secretary says, there's a Mr. Brooks to see you. He says he doesn't come to church, but he wonders if he can see you briefly. Oh yes, okay, Jean, send him in. And Mr. Brooks walks into the study and he sits down and he says to the priest, um, Look, thank you for seeing me at short notice. I'll spare you all the details because I know you're a busy man, but 
But over these past months, I've been thinking about the really big questions of life and I I want to know, where is the Lord? The priest is a little taken aback. He can't remember anyone ever asking him that question before. I mean, so he tells the man about the services at the weekend and the social club that's happening during the week and, and he says, you know, we're a friendly bunch here and if you start coming along, you're sure to get to know people and to make some friends. Oh, and we have a real concern for the poor and you might like to get involved in our quite extensive programme to help the underprivileged of the area. And Mr Brooks uh, listens to him and then interrupts him and says, well, th- yes, thank you, but, um, but Reverend, uh, I wonder, can you tell me where is the Lord? And the priest is lost for words. And when Mr. Brooks leaves, the priest calls in his secretary and says, Oh, Gina, could you come in and please help me work out the plan for the services for the next month? And they sit down and begin to work on the next month's services. And and he says, You know, Gene, that Mr. Brooks, nice fellow, asked me an amazing question. Asked me, Where is the Lord? Odd question, really. I can't remember anybody ever asking me that before. Anyway, let's get back to work, shall we? And on they go with their their church services. Here are the priests, you see, occupied with their ecclesiastical affairs and unable to tell people how to find the Lord. Simply not a question that's on their mind, verse 8. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Don't think about it. They know all about canon law and synod meetings and, well, all the things that they busy themselves with, all the things that fill up their diary, and they can do it all brilliantly. Costs a fortune too, but, but they can't help people find the Lord. Well, look, just test it out. You're probably at the moment saying, look, you're overstating it, Paul. Just test it out. Next time you're on a train and a clergyman sits down opposite you wearing his dog collar, ask him the question in verse 8. Ask him, uh, uh, where is the Lord? Ask him, how can I know the Lord personally? And I would guess, eight times out of ten, you won't be told the gospel. I hope I'm proved wrong. You might have to do it ten times to see if I'm right or not. But if I am right and the gospel is not explained to you, then do the clergyman a favour, will you, who's sitting opposite you, and tell him how he can know the Lord? See, the the priest, verse 8, did not ask, where is the Lord? What about the scholars? Should we look at them? The Lord says in verse 8, second bit of verse 8, those who deal with the Lord did not know me. So here's a scholar, a theologian. He works in the university, loves his job. Immerses himself in in his research. Lovely man. He loves supervising his students in their doctorates and he's brilliant, has a brain the size of a planet. He's an expert in the Levitical law, specialises in the clean and unclean foods. Nothing, he doesn't know about clean and unclean foods. But desperately, although he knows so much about all the detail of the law, verse 8, he doesn't know the Lord. And so when his latest PhD student comes in and says, you know, I'm convinced that the law can only properly be understood as a foreshadow of the Messiah... I'm coming to believe that the law teaches us about the Christ. Well, then the lecturer looks over his glasses and looks across at the student and says, now, where have you heard that sort of stuff? What have you been reading to put those sorts of thoughts in your mind? Oh, let me guess. It's that evangelical church you go to, isn't it? They've been teaching you, I suppose, that the Bible is the inspired and infallible word of God, haven't they? You know, we haven't believed that for years very poor scholarship to believe that sort of thing it's simply not good academic practice next you'll be telling me that I need to have a personal relationship with the Lord he says well that's verse 8 as the Lord says those who deal with the Lord did not know me 
So here's the scholar studying the minutiae of the law, but he doesn't know the Lord. And of course, it's happening all over Britain today. Keen young Christian men and women who will be off to, the uni- off to university this, off- this autumn to study theology. And the university faculties will be as liberal as they come. And they'll be undermining the scriptures and undermining the faith of young Christians. I say to you boldly, but really from the heart, do not encourage your children to study theology at university where unbelievers are teaching them the Bible. It is madness to do that. The best they'll do is survive it, and for many it will wreck their faith. And that's true in Anglican theological colleges too. The theology is hopeless, and the lecturers, verse 8, often, not always, but often do not know the Lord. No wonder Anglican ordinands leave college with such a liberal agenda. There are, of course, glorious exceptions. But they are exceptions. And no wonder the church is in decline. 4 verse 8, those who deal with the law do not know the Lord. Now look, let me stop here before we look at the next group. Because I can imagine that at this point you're, you're saying, well, you know, you're overstating it and uh, you know, why does all this matter? It matters because knowing the Lord is the most important thing in the world, isn't it? We don't know when we're going to be catapulted into eternity face to face with him. See, these are not little things we're talking about. Well, let's look thirdly then at the, the leaders, as they're put here in verse 8. What does it say? The leaders rebelled against me, says the Lord. Well, it's exactly what happened as Jesus walked planet Earth. Remember how, how Jesus laid into the leaders of his day in Matthew chapter 23? There's no need to turn it up. I'll read it for us because we're going to be going straight back to Jeremiah 2. But let me read these verses. The words of Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. They're slamming the door on people. They can't get into heaven because of all the work they're doing. Whatever they're doing, they're not leading people to the Lord. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Strong words, words of Jesus. See, the leaders in Jesus' day got everyone to keep their man-made rules but they hated Jesus. They rebelled against him. That's Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 8. And today... So many senior churchmen implement their man-made rules. They push on churches that are trying to preach the gospel, man-made rules that crush the church. And they ignore the gospel, not interested in leading people to know the Lord. And in ignoring the gospel, they are rebelling against Jesus. Verse 8, the leaders rebelled against me. And lastly, and probably worst of all, If it isn't bad enough, there in verse 8, Jeremiah exposes the prophets. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. See, here were prophets that called themselves prophets of Almighty God. Jeremiah exposes them and says they were in fact prophesying by Baal, another God altogether. And what are the marks of the false prophet in Jeremiah, do you remember? They never upset anyone. They told everyone that everything was okay. Their great phrase, peace, peace, when there is no peace, says Jeremiah. They said to everyone that there's no judgment to come. It's okay, you're okay. 
They told people what they wanted to hear. And people loved them. Oh, he's a lovely man, that prophet. Makes me feel so much better. That's why Israel hated Jeremiah so much, because he told the truth and it didn't make for comfortable listening. Well, we've noticed that, haven't we, in the last two weeks? And next week is going to be hard as well. I was saying to somebody this week, you can only stay in Jeremiah a couple of weeks because you're so desperate, you need to be encouraged after a while. That's what Jeremiah does all the way through his book. You can't stay there long before you feel you need some sort of encouragement. But people hated listening to him because he told them the truth. But just flip over if you've still got your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 6 and you'll, you'll see these false prophets. Jeremiah chapter 6, page 763 and verse 13. See, here is what the Lord says through Jeremiah 6.13. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. You see, they say, there's nothing to worry about. They, they talk as if it was, it's not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. See, the judgment of God is coming upon these people and they're saying, peace, it's all right. Verse 15, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they've no shame at all. They do not know even how to blush. That's, the, that's prophesying by Baal. And it's frighteningly contemporary. Preachers who never warn of judgment. Of course, they're very hard to spot because as they preach, they say, God loves you, which is true. They seem to be saying true things. They just don't tell you the whole truth. They never pre- warn of judgment. They, they preach their popular sermons telling people what they want to hear. They are preachers who will not make a distinction between the Lord and other gods because they profit by Baal. They, they prophesy by Baal. There's no distinction in their minds between the true and living God and all these other gods. And again, it is horribly contemporary. Uh, Did you see in the Times this uh, last week? Uh, Here's the headline. Hinduism, no barrier to job as priest in Church of England. Reads this. A priest with the Church of England who converted to Hinduism has been allowed to continue to officiate as a cleric. The Reverend David Hart's diocese renewed his licence this summer, even though he had moved to India, changed his name to Ananda, and daily blesses a congregation of Hindus with fire previously offered to Nagar, the snake god. Now you see, if it wasn't so important, it would be laughable, wouldn't it? Now this is what uh, David Hart says. My philosophical position is that all religions are cultural constructs. Just, you know, you, you, you become whatever your culture is, really. You, so you just sort of, if your culture has that religion, then that's what you'll become. And it's just a cultural construct. So there's no differences there between Jesus and Hinduism. This is tremendously sad. He, he uh, this man, won't ever try to lead people to Jesus, will he? He'll let them be what they are. If they're Hindus, they'll say, well, that's lovely. You carry on being Hindu. Here are preachers who will not make a distinction between the Lord and other gods. Preachers who are not interested in the million dollar question in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 6. Where is the Lord? And that is a mark of a church in spiritual decline. A church that really is no longer interested in knowing the Lord. They might say they are but really they're not.
Derek Kidner's words again that I, that I uh, quoted earlier. Their priest routines revolved around themselves. Their scholars knew everything but the Lord. Their rulers ignored the rule and most blatantly of all, their prophets had broad minds where Yahweh and Baal were all one. Multi-faith services acceptable. The scriptures undermined in the colleges. The priests unable to lead people to the Lord. That is spiritual decline. And you and I know it is frighteningly contemporary. Friends, we are in dire spiritual straits in this land. And the reason it matters is because people need to know the Lord. Not just for now, but for eternity. There is no other way. Jesus himself said, No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If he is right, then these other religions are wrong. If he is wrong, don't bother coming next week. Friends, we're in dire spiritual straits in this land, but here is the Lord speaking to his people, longing for them to return to him. You see, even at this stage, as we read Jeremiah, there is hope. He has not given up on these people. That's why he raised up Jeremiah to proclaim to the people. It is not the end of the road yet for them. He's calling his people back. And we know the wonderful, glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus, which says there is always, always hope. Always forgiveness if we repent. We as a church must hang on to these truths and we must be playing our part in calling others back to this truth within the wider church. And of course, doing it so that others may come to know the glorious Lord Jesus who gives us eternity, guarantees, because of his death on the cross. So there is hope while he continues to speak to us if we will listen. Verse 4 Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when knowing you have been far from us, when knowing the Lord has not been the most important thing to us, either as individuals or as a church family. We feel desperate about the state of this nation and we ask you to rock us so that we'd be prayerful people, so that we'd be people of action. And we ask you, Lord, to do a work among us so that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will have a faithful witness in this land. And we pray these things through Christ our Lord.